If you've been dealing with an addicted loved one for a while, you probably feel like you don't even recognize yourself. You've either turned into this obsessed, crazed person who keeps trying to catch the addiction and control the addiction and set limits on the addiction, or you've turned into this person who's basically just sort of like curled up in a ball in a shell of themselves on the floor just being allowing yourself to be walked all over by this addiction. When you have an addicted loved one, the whole process causes a ton of trauma to you. And you probably already know that you're traumatized and you probably already know that like you're not even yourself anymore, but you may not understand exactly why or how that happened to you. And it's pretty important to figure out why and how that's happening to you so you can figure out how to get out of it and find yourself again and come back to your sanity. Now, you've probably heard this before. Most of you probably heard this before, but have you, you've heard that when you have an addicted loved one, you get like addicted to them. It's a very true statement. You know, they're addicted to whatever they're addicted to, drugs, alcohol, gambling, whatever, whatever. You know, and so they're chasing this addiction over here and they have this sort of like predictable process that they go through you know they get at first whatever that addiction is it it provides some kind of benefit for them it's fun or they like it or you know it helps them be more social it does something positive in their life it works for them for a while and so they keep going back to it but after they keep going back to it for a while they have these brain changes that cause them to be um, less okay when they are not engaging in that addictive behavior. And that makes them go back to it even faster. And then they become so uncomfortable when they're not engaging in the addictive behavior, they get obsessed about it and they're chasing it. And as this is going on with them, you can watch from the outside, you can watch their whole personality change. It's like, who are you? Why, why have you become this person who's like the opposite of who you really are? You're watching this and it's mind blowing. And so we're kind of like aware of all these changes and shifts that are happening in that person because we're watching it from the outside. But what you may not realize is literally the exact same changes and processes are happening inside of you. And I call it a parallel process. You know, they're chasing the addiction and you're chasing them. And in this video, I really want to sort of break that down for you into the nitty gritty and explain to you what's happening and why. So just like when an addict first starts doing whatever their addiction is, it, it is helpful for them in some way. It does something for them. When you first were in this relationship or at some point in this relationship you had with this person who you care about is addicted, their relationship worked for you. And it did something for you and it, it gave you some amount of happiness whether this is your sibling or your spouse or your kid or you know your cousin whoever this relationship worked for you and you got something good out of it and you know you're happy with that but as they start to lose themselves that relationship stops working for you but you can remember that it was like it was before and you keep trying to make it like it was before the same way the addict keeps trying to chase that sort of first high and it's not really the first high because it you know 
works for a little while for most people, but they keep trying to get back to the way it was, you know, maybe if I do it this way or that way. And, and we talk about on this channel all the time about how they go through this phase of bargaining trial and error and trying it this way and trying to cut back and all that kind of stuff. Guess how it's you? Same darn thing. You go through this period of bargaining and trial and error and you keep trying to get back to that place that you were with this person because you love them and you care about them and the relationship used to mean a lot to you and you, you probably don't even know this part but when you're really close to someone you have like a biological dependency on them you can't feel it happening to you at first but it has to do with your neurochemicals wiring up with their neurochemicals and so literally when you lose that relationship like you go into a draw I've got some really good videos coming out next week all about that. We talk about love addiction and relationships and stuff. So definitely check those out. So you're you're psychologically addicted to the person. And then you're also neurochemically addicted to the person, whether you realize it or not. If you've ever been through a bad breakup, maybe you didn't even like this person. They broke up with you and you go into massive withdrawal. Then you know what I'm talking about. You're like, what is wrong with me? I didn't even like that person. But now like, I add up and back. It's like that. You get in this withdrawal state. So, So you got this biological process that's happening the psychological process is happening because you keep trying to get it back to the way it was before and at first you go through this denial phase where you don't want to admit or acknowledge what's really going on and then you you sort of start to admit it or acknowledge it but not really like absorbing the depth of how bad it is and what's really going on same thing that we talk about that goes on with the addictive person right first they say it's not a problem and eventually they say okay it is a problem it's not that bad of a problem you do the same thing you go through these very same phases and stages that's why it's a parallel process now what happens is is when they start to withdraw from you that throws you into a draw and you start chasing that that relationship or that person that you care about trying to fix it and put it back and you get not only do you have this withdrawal syndrome going on but you feel very very confused and you start to really doubt yourself and then you start to have a lot of shame inside and then you start to not like who you are anymore guess what that sounds like same stuff that we talk about what goes on with the adita person exact same things and the reason that happens is because you get all this like you start doing things because you're you get in this desperate state you start doing things that you wouldn't normally do you start spying you start snaking you start yelling you start controlling you start threatening you start um throwing their stuff away you start acting like a crazy fool you know you do just the same way as they start acting like a crazy fool you are essentially doing pretty much almost anything that they're doing they're maybe doing a few things that you're not doing like maybe they're like stealing money and you're not stealing money but when you back up and you look at like the big process of what's happening, you can see that you're really right behind them and what's going on with you. And this is how you you lose yourself. And you, because you're doing all those crazy things, deep down you feel guilty about it. Now, you, you kind of alternate back and forth, really. I shouldn't say you feel guilty because there are times you feel guilty about it and you feel shameful about it. And then there are times where you're like, they had it come and they deserve not care what I did. Same way the act feels about you. <laughs> there are times I feel guilty about how they're interacting with you. And then there are times I like, they deserve it, whatever. <laughs> Same thing. It's a parallel process. And so 
you get this mix of emotions going on, but then you also start to really like doubt your sanity. And you're doing that for a few reasons. You're doing that because, um, number one, you don't really want to believe that it's true. So you'll find yourself trying to like go back into the denial the same way as the addict or alcoholic goes back into denial. And when you look at them from the outside, you think, how can you know you're alcoholic this week and the next week you come in here and tell me you're not? Same way as you do that. Like sometimes you look at them and you know for sure what the problem is. And then there are other times where you're like, wait, it's not that bad. Maybe they can get under control. And you go back into your own denial and you go back into your own bargaining because to really fully absorb what it means is pretty dang scary because it means you're going to have to make some really hard decisions. Same thing for the person that's addicted. To really fully absorb that there is a problem and the magnitude of the problem means that they're going to have to like make some really hard decisions and do some really hard things. Same thing on your side. So because of that, we, we alternate. We kind of go, we get it, and then we don't get it. We get it, we don't get it. And then if you layer on the top of that, that the addicted person is telling you it's not happening and you don't want it to be happening, now you really got to, you know, twist it up in there. You don't want it to be happening. They're saying it's not happening. So you're like, maybe it's not happening. And then you start second guessing your own self because you're like, maybe I am crazy because they're sort of telling you that. And deep down inside, you know, it's kind of true because you're looking at yourself and you're like, I'm not like most girls. Like I am being weird and crazy and maybe it is me, you know? And so they either are telling you it and they're probably telling you both things. It's just that sometimes they tell you one, sometimes they tell you the other. Sometimes they tell you it is not happening and that you're crazy and you're imagining stuff. And then other times they're like, yeah, it's happening, but it's happening because you're making it happen. And then they start telling you it's your fault. And if you weren't crazy lunatic, they wouldn't need to go, you know, be gone MIA for three days. You know, they start telling you it's it's on you or whatever. And and so you start questioning your sanity. And at this point, you really are a different person. You're depressed. You are anxious. You don't care about the hobbies, interests, and activities that you used to do. Now, you might still be functioning. You might be a functioning addict. You might still be going to work, but let's be real. Like, your your heart's not in it. You might still be showing up to some activities because you're, like, committed or, you know, you go with a group of friends or something like that. But, but it's hard for you to really, like, be present and in the moment. It's hard for you to really enjoy those things anymore or be engaged or to even really, like, care you know, when your friends and your family are just talking to you about like regular stuff or what's going on in their life, it's hard for you to like even connect to what they're saying because you're so preoccupied and desperate in your own thinking, which is exactly the way the addicted person feels, maybe just a little bit turned up because they have a, they have a much higher like physical uncomfortableness that they're experiencing because of their withdrawal. But, but it's the same thing. The volume's just turned up a little bit. So when you think about it that way, it might help you to understand why they bargain, why they are in denial back and forth about it, why they try a bunch of junk that doesn't work, you know, why they make emotional decisions about it. Same, same reason you are. You are doing and feeling the same things that they are doing and feeling. And so you are addicted to them. Now, there is a way out of this. Just like I always tell you guys and tell my clients, like, yeah, there is a way out of your addiction, whether it's to alcohol, pain pills, or whatever. 
but it is you are not going to get out the way you've been trying to get out, which is almost always some kind of bargaining technique. You have to get control of yourself first. So you got, you know, you're, you're chasing them. They're crazy and you're crazy. And the whole system's a mess. You're depressed. You're anxious. You can't think. You're a shell of yourself. You can't enjoy things anymore, just like them. And you feel broken, but you feel desperate and you feel like you can't get out. And that's why you stay stuck in this bargaining phase. And you stay stuck making these emotional decisions about how to handle it. You you think, well, maybe if I tell them, you know, if they don't stop drinking, they're not going to see their kids. You bargain. It's the same version. It's the family member version of maybe if I just drink beer. Bargaining. You know, you think if I put down the ultimatum and I show them I'm serious business, they'll stop. Or you think, you know, maybe they'll just grow out of it. You know, maybe it's just a phase and they'll pass it. You're, you're bargaining with it just like they're bargaining with it. And there are things you can do to stop. There are things they can do to stop the addiction. And there are things you can do to stop your addiction. But all the ways that you've been trying it, which are, I don't want you to beat yourself up because it naturally happens. It would happen to me, knowing everything I know, still happens. So I'm not telling you this to beat you out. I'm telling you this for the opposite reason, for you to know that this is what happens to you. It's, it's, it's biological in nature, and you have a limited amount of control over it. But once you realize that's what's happening, then you can back up and make some strategic decisions. Just the same exact thing as for the person who's addicted. When you go to 12 steps, the first thing they tell you if you're the addicted person is they tell you, you have to admit that you are powerless over your addiction. Now, I'm kind of iffy on the word powerless because I don't, I think it's confusing to people. Although I agree with what the step is saying, I think it's confusing to people. I've got a video coming out soon that says why I don't believe in powerlessness. It's not really I don't believe in that step. It's just that word is maybe not the perfect word. But, um, you know, they have to admit they're powerless. But they're not really powerless because I'm not really saying there's nothing they can do but but everything they've been trying to do isn't going to work. And that and when you got an Al-Anon, which is like your 12-step group for you as the family member, you have to admit that you are powerless over your addicted loved one. Now, are you really powerless? You're not really completely powerless. Hopefully you know that if you've watched any of my videos because I have about 450 videos talking about the things that you can do to help influence your loved one in the right direction. Just like they have some choice in the matter, you have some choice in the matter. But before you can start like exerting the choice and influence you have, you kind of do got to come to terms with the fact that your life is unmanageable, that you've turned into a crazy person, and that all of these things that you've been trying are not going to work. Exactly the same process as they have to come to terms with. And if you're struggling to come to terms with that, then maybe it can give you some empathy about why they're struggling to come to terms with that, you know, because it's, it's easier said than done. So this idea of admitting your powerlessness, I do think in some levels is important, but I don't really think it means you're powerless. I think it means you've got to step back and realize like, dude, I have lost my mind. And nothing I have tried has worked. And I have tried every single thing on a trial. Like, I am out of ideas. I always say you get to step number one when you're exhausted and you've thoroughly tried everything. 
Same for them, same for you. You get to this step when you are thoroughly exhausted and you've tried everything. Then you're just like, okay, I give up. I give up. I'm going to do it your way. But a lot of times when people watch uh, my videos, because I, I have so many videos talking about things you can do, sometimes um, people want to jump right into that, which is good. I'm glad that you want to sort of take some accountability, get some, you know, you know, some influence over the situation. But but you got to stop first. Just like there are many things the addict can do, but they have to stop using the drug first. <laughs> they have to stop the addiction. You've got to stabilize yourself before you can try all the techniques that I've been teaching you. And if you've been trying the techniques and you find that you keep relapsing or that you, you know, you can do it one day, but then you can't do it the next day, what that probably means is that you haven't detoxed yourself. You haven't stabilized yourself enough. You don't have enough emotional control of yourself to be able to pull off all those steps that that I've been telling you. Just like it's like a lot of times for the addicted person, the first step is they literally they have to go to detox. Like they have to stabilize before they can work some twelve steps. That's what I'm telling you as the family member. You got to stop and back up for a, for a minute. And figure out how to come back to my senses. And in order to do that, you're probably going to have to back up from the addicted person. Now, you guys know, I never tell you, you have to like throw them out of your house. Although, I'm not opposed to that. I'm just telling you, you don't have to do that. Um, sometimes, if it's possible, it is best for you to physically not be living with them. Whenever that's possible, I do think that's best. Because it's hard to get emotional control of yourself when they're living with you. The same way as it would be hard for an alcoholic to stop drinking when there's alcohol in the house. Now, just like an alcoholic, I always tell them, like, at first I want you to make sure all the alcohol's out of your house because you're vulnerable and you're fragile and you're craving and you're not stable enough and you're going to want it and it's just going to make it really hard on you. But eventually it won't bother you if that alcohol's in your house because you're going to have control of yourself. And I'm telling you the same thing as a family member. You need to back up emotionally. Like when you go to Al-Anon, they say detach. That's what they mean. The thing about 12 steps, they use this language that makes a lot of sense if you've been working the program long enough, but it's not very clear when you're new. They have like these sayings and these philosophies, and it's like they're talking in code. <laughs> and they don't really do that good a job of explaining to you. And that's why I wanted to do this video is to sort of break it down for you about what is happening to you. How did you get to this state and how are you going to get out of it? Once you get control of yourself and you've come back to yourself and you've like got your anxiety under control and you've, you know, started to like work on your own life and your own goals, they call that recovery for you as the family member. Once you get your own recovery in check, then you can step back into the situation to some degree and start doing all these things that I teach you about how to have like influence over your local one. But I'm telling you, if you skip the step of stabilizing yourself, and you're not taking care of yourself, and you're not finding your own recovery, you can't help them. In fact, you're making it worse because you are also engaging in an addiction. You're asking them to stop when you can't stop. Now, most people feel like, I'll stop being crazy when they stop being crazy, which may or not, may not really be true. I'm not even sure if that's really true. But I am sure that the chances of them just spontaneously stopping being crazy is not very good. The better chances are that the family, if the family member can stop being crazy first, the addicted person will stop being crazy. Kind of is in the opposite 
reversed way of that you probably think. You think when they get better, I'll be better. But what I'm telling you is if you get better as a family member, they'll get better as the addicted person because they don't have anything left in them. You know, I I think about addiction like it's like a parasite because it is. And it just like takes everything from them. Their money, their self-esteem, their time, their energy. They, They can't even have their own thoughts. The addiction controls their thoughts. So they're literally empty from this parasite who's taking everything from them. And you're close to empty, but you're not as empty as they are. You, you have a slight more control than they have. And so if you're waiting for them to get control of themselves spontaneously because they just, you know, had one of those rock bottom moments and then they figured it out and they got better. You guys know how I feel about that. Can happen, but I wouldn't sit around waiting for it to happen because more likely to not happen than it is to spontaneously happen. So, But the chances that you can get better are are pretty high. All you, if you decide to do that, you can do that. And then once you get better, they're empty. And their parasite, I always say their parasite is already like taking everything from them. And now it's taking from you vicariously. So it's, they're empty, but they're plugged into you and that parasite is feeding off of you and living off of you. If you unplug from it, you're going to starve that parasite out. And that's why that other person, the addicted person, will begin to get better because there's nothing for the addiction to feed on. There's no bad guy role. There's no um, distracting yourself with defensive. There's no money. There's no pretending that everything's fine. There's nobody fixing everything for you and so it's like starving out a virus or starving out a parasite it's like you're going to force the addiction to let go of them because there's nothing left for it to feed off of and that is the process of getting better it's a family illness and it's a family recovery process and people do better when they can do it in a system now not every person that has an addiction has a supportive family that does get better. I'm not saying that you can't get better regardless of what they do and and they can get better regardless of what you do. But when it's kind of simultaneous, it happens um, easier. It stays longer and it's, it's just a lot easier for everybody because the system works better and you're, and you can pull each other down the wrong way and you can pull each other up in the right way. So, if you've heard the concept of powerless, that's what it means. It doesn't mean you're really powerless. It just means everything you've been trying, that ain't going to work. So you're going to have to stop trying it. I know you, you've tried to cut back your drinking or you smoking or whatever it was 150 times. You know you have. You know you've tried it. You've done all these things. You've bought the mini bottles. You've made promises. Um, there's one guy that, I don't know if you guys have ever seen him on YouTube. He's called the Stop Drinking Expert or something. And he tells this story in one of his videos about buying this like safe that has um, a timed lock on it where he literally put the alcohol in and he could only open the safe for like so many minutes a day. And it was crazy because he was talking about like sitting there at the safe every day waiting for his like 14 minutes he could drink, like waiting for the thing to open and then eventually just figuring out how to break into there. You know, you, you got to you gotta say, okay, I've, I've done everything I can think of and that's not going to work. Let me back up. Let me try something else. Let me do it a different way. Um, so hopefully 
if you're watching this, it, it can give you a little empathy for both sides. If you're watching this as an addictive person, first thing I want to say to you is like, I'm, if you're watching this as an addictive person or a person in recovery or a person actively struggling right now, I just want to say I am extremely impressed with you because I have a lot of people in recovery or who are trying to get in recovery that watch my videos. And it's always very, very impressive to me um, when they watch my videos, not just because they're trying to get better, because a lot of people are trying to get better, but if you're trying to get better from watching my videos, you're really trying hard because, you know, in my videos, I'm I'm going to say all the bad things are happening. I'm making you face what's going on between you and your family members. Like, you're going to get some hard truth watching my videos. So if you if you are, if you have struggled in the past and you tolerate watching all these videos that I make, it's pretty impressive. And I would say the same thing as if you're watching from a family member because it's like for the addicted person, I make you have to see the family member side. And from the family member side, I make you have to see the addicted person side. So I'm not taking it easy on anybody. So I feel like my subscribers, my loyal subscriber fans that come back time and time again, you guys are like hardcore. You're tough and you're going to make it out because most of the time um, you can't tolerate most people can't tolerate um hearing that they need to change something you know for the addicted person to be able to listen and face you know what they're doing to their family it takes a lot of guts and courage and as a family member for you to be able to take accountability for what i'm telling you for you to be sitting here listening to me tell you you're crazy i mean that could easily be offensive right it could be like amber you can't say that to me like i'm trauma which i'm agreeing you do have trauma but you're still being crazy and so for you to be able to tolerate listening to that, it just, to me, it just says like how strong you are and how committed you are and that you guys are going to be the ones that make it. Because I feel like like these days there's this whole like culture of victim thinking for you. And and I think on this channel, I'm a little, I'm a little more um, tough on you guys, I guess is what I'd say. Because I am like, dude, the world's not treating you bad for a fiddle for you, but here's what I want you to do about it. <laughs> you know, you got to step up whether you're on either side of the, of the problem. So I do want to just call out and say my subscribers are the best subscribers because y'all can take it like either which way while you're listening to me. If you're listening to me, don't matter which side you're on, you're going to hear a lot of things that are hard to hear about yourself. And I think that takes a lot of courage. And it also is what tells me you guys are the ones going to beat this thing. So. Give yourself a little pat on the back. So Mojo says, my wife is destroying our family with her drinking. I feel like I've been a single dad for three years now while juggling work. I'm at my wit's end. Yeah, you're you're saying exactly what I'm saying. Um, we are on the same page because you're exhausted. You're tired. You've tried everything. And I, I think you bring up a really good point because one of the things that, and I didn't say this before, but one of the things that makes you kind of crazy as a family member is, you are exhausted because you're probably holding up, you know, 85, 90% of the responsibilities, way more than your fair share. And that's another thing that, that builds resentment and just drains your energy and, and turns you into that person that you don't want to be. Um, I didn't say that, but you're a thousand percent right on that one. All right, let's put Cindy on here. And then we have Buffy also in the waiting room. Hey, Cindy. Hi, Amber. Hi, Amber. All the way from South Africa again. How are you? I know. I love your accent. 
Seth. Oh, thank you. Your story. No, we self-assert. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to actually just share a little bit tonight and also to say thank you very much for your show. It's helped everybody. Well, I'm sure everybody can say that you've helped us a, a great deal. Um, I've even started getting my daughter. I've been sending her your links as well. And I'm trying to basically keep you to myself because <laughs> I want to keep the selfish part so that I can learn better on how to detach and how to do this and how to do that. And um, she's actually at a meeting at the moment on her way home. And, um, but yes, I'm reading all those comments. It was very, very sad for me to see the the place that people have found themselves in. Last year, I found myself in a very terrible situation and a very bad space that I tried to take my own life twice wow. in one year because my daughter had pushed me to such a point that I just didn't want to be here anymore. I tried everything I had done and she was so angry with me because I had done that. And um, she actually went to, she came to us this year and um, she came to us and she needed help and she said she needs help. Wow. And she suffers from borderline personality disorder as well. She's been in recovery now at a place that I've mentioned before on your um, site, New Journey, mm -hmm. um, and has completely changed her. Um, her BPD is so much more under control. Um, she She's really, really doing well. She's focusing on herself. But I and my, my fiance and I have also learned to detach. And last night while he was sitting here, he turned around and he said to her, one of the boundaries set in this house is that anything you do will not interfere in our relationship whatsoever. And even though we're struggling with the rest of the boundaries, we're not 100% sure how to set them out and everything else. Um, but we're working on it and we're working on it together. So it's like we, we spoke to her yesterday, but not like calling her into the principal's office and telling her this is this, this is that. We spoke together as a family mm -hmm. and said that, you know what, we need to decide on boundaries together and before it actually happens mm -hmm. so that we know that you already know what the consequence is for it. So I just want everybody out there to know that, you know what, there is hope. There is, there's, I'm, I'm probably one of the very lucky ones and I, I hope my daughter stays clean. Um, she was on cocaine and on um, uh, prescription medications. So she's very excited about her journey, her new journey going forward and and yes, to everybody else, there is light at the end of the tunnel at the end of the day. You know. Did I start getting better first or did she start? Who, who made the first steps toward recovery? She came to us and she said to me she needs help. Okay. But we thought it was more of an escape to get away from everything, yeah, because our house was toxic. Eh? It was mm -hmm. it, it was terrible to come home. It was It was horrible being around her. Mm -hmm. And now I'm so excited to come home and see her. And Getting better she tells me at the same time. Yes, it, it's like a family and she loves my fiancé like her own dad and everything else. So things things can get better. They can, but the other person has got to want to. That, that like you always say, the other person has got to want to do it. And I swear if my daughter can do it, anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. And... Just thank you very much for your amazing show. And um, maybe one night you can do another one on setting boundaries. I know that you do have some, which I've uh, gone through, mm -hmm. but um, I haven't quite understood them perfectly. 
Um, but we're struggling a bit with, with how to set boundaries for somebody that's actually doing well and where to set boundaries, et cetera. Well, one thing, you know, I can't go into all that now. Boundaries is complicated, and even though I teach it a lot, I still have to sort of back up and think it through because it's hard. Mm-hmm. But when you were talking about boundaries in the family, I was thinking, you know, not only is it like these are boundaries that we're setting for you, but also I bet she feels like there needs to be some boundaries to protect her too, right? Like, yeah, boundaries. I'm like, this is where my boundary is with you guys, you know. And that's so good that you guys are doing it as a family because you can talk about what does she need. And what do you need? And that way it's, you know, it, it's looking at it from both sides. And because, you know, when someone's addicted, they cross all of our boundaries, but we also cross all theirs too. And it's the boundaries yes, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. For instance, she's now gotten involved with a girl online, which is not allowed. And we're trying to talk her out of this now because it's already pushed past the part of the friend zone. Mm-hmm. So now we're trying to figure out how to get rid of this but we'll figure it out a new journey's offered to help us as well and well maybe you'll come up with something as well on relationships and before the year is out every everything i teach you about how to help a, someone who's addicted make a positive change with the addiction it applies to this too so you, you don't want to come at it too forcefully you don't want to be preachy or naggy about it you want to be on her side and help influence her decision making. But, you know, the worst thing you can do is to take a strong alignment against this relationship. It it will like put a wall between the two of you worse than the drugs. Because <laughs> people, especially if it's a new relationship, they, people cling on to relationships worse than the drugs. Oh, I don't know. Her answer yeah. is toxic and terrible. Wow, we're good. Thank you for coming up and sharing that with us because we need, we need some hope and some good stories on here all of us thank you very much thank you i really appreciate it have a great evening thank you hey buffy hi how are you doing can you hear me i can hear you yeah um i'm sorry i i watch you weekly but this time i came in late but i saw the title and um i'm sorry okay um, I really need to reach out. Um, I have a 28 year old daughter who is an addiction and, um, in the last month she's overdosed and Narcan brought her back to life. Um, and then also she was picked up and, um, in the detention center for many months. Um, she just entered a, uh, residential treatment facility on Saturday. Um, she's saying that if it, um, if this doesn't work, that she's not going to do recovery again. Um, so that's kind of where we are right now. But, um, I also have a 15 year old, um, son and, um, I know the, um, the pain and the emotions that my daughter has that I feel from my daughter's addiction, but, um, my 15 year old and his sister were extremely close, especially with an age difference. And um, he has a lot of anger with her. And I I hear him and I accept how he responds. Um, I, no, I don't accept how he responds. Let me rephrase that. I give him the right to feel how he feels. He cannot be disrespectful towards her. He cannot be mean towards her. 
but I understand um, that sometimes anger is just an emotion you don't know how to how to express, and so it comes out as anger. Um, but I just um, I wondered um, if uh, writing my daughter a letter with some of our experiences and some of the trauma that's happened um, would be beneficial. I don't want her, I don't want to cause her shame or guilt. Um, and I don't know, um, if she would even be willing to read the letter. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of at a loss just how to, how to just navigate everything because I'm navigating her and her addiction. I'm navigating son and his anger and navigating me and my hurt and anger and, um, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Well, you're giving me a lot. I'm having so many thoughts on what you're saying. <laughs> so I'm going to answer your question about the letter, but I do want to, one of the first things you said was that she said, if this doesn't work, I'm not doing recovery again. Yes. And when I know when someone throws something like that, that out there, number one, it's scary, but it, it probably triggers you to want to like talk sense into her. I'll just let that pass. She's early in the process and we'll deal with that later. And you know, that's a big talk. You don't know what you're going to do next time. So don't even, I always say, people say all the time, like, I'm going to never quit drinking. I'm like, whatever. Everybody says that. Just let that, don't even like address that right now. Just say, I'm, I'm really proud of yourself for doing what you're doing. It takes a lot of guts. Just say that. And then that's it. Don't even worry about that. Um, about the, um, the impact or the letter, some treatment centers, will actually ask families to write letters like that they call them impact letters sort of like what's the impact been on us um i don't know if the treatment center she's at would would ask you guys to do that or not i know a lot of times especially with like teen treatment centers and stuff or young adults they'll do that but um i, I wouldn't do it unless the treatment center asked you to unless you felt like she was in a good enough place right now because i can tell it's so fresh and new She's not anywhere near ready to hear all that. If you, you could say, we realize in the process that we've not always responded right. I know, you know, I said or did this and sort of talk about your side of the street. And that might would help her be more vulnerable because it's like you being vulnerable about we know we haven't been perfect either. Might cause her to be more vulnerable. What to say, you hurt us in this way. I don't advise that early in a, in a person's process because they're not ready for it. Well, and um, I uh, I have my own addiction uh, recovery um, from sexual addiction, and I was in uh, Celebrate Recovery for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So I've done the 12 steps a couple of different times. And so I've learned, you know, to address my feelings. And whenever I do, whenever I have, because this has been a 10-year battle in her addiction, and um when I've tried to talk to her in the past about different instances and I'm just relating how I feel, um, she says, mom, it's not about you. You're making this all about you. Um, and that's not what I'm making it about. Um, but then she just shuts me off right then and there. Um, and, um, it's more about, it's more about my son and my daughter's relationship, to be honest with you. Um, and I just don't know how to navigate um, that, I guess. Um, and like I said, I came in at the end of your 
broadcast, and so I don't know if um, if I'm even right on topic. But um, I it is hard with the siblings, and I found that with the siblings, it's either that they completely align with the addicted sibling, especially if they're still in the house or if they're like a teenager, they'll like side with that person against the parents. That's one thing that happens. And then another thing that happens is, is they get really angry at the person, like what you're describing. And they, they especially get angry too, because they feel like, you know, they're mad about how, what they're doing is affecting them. But, but a lot of times what they're mad about is how it's affecting the parents and they feel defensive of you. And so they get very angry about that. Right. And then other times, um, siblings can just feel exhausted because it takes up all the time, energy, and space in the family. And they just want it to not be about that all the time. And they just want to be able to, like, have regular dinner or whatever. Right. So it sounds like with your son, it's a, I'm upset with you because he feels betrayed and abandoned himself because they were so close before. And he has his own hurt feelings. And... I, I I think it's really good because you you're validating his feelings, which is which is good. It's hard as a mom to watch him be angry at her because I know that you're scared that his anger is going to trigger her backwards, which it could. But you're sort of balancing her needs and his needs, which is like very difficult, and your own, you know. And so, it, I I agree that teaching your son like even when you're upset with somebody, it's not okay to be ugly in general. Um, cause that's just a lesson to teach your kids in general, but you also don't have to feel like that you have to fix it all for her either. And that you have to make him not say certain things or do certain things. Cause he probably shouldn't say or do those things, but whatever's gone on is a consequence of some choices she made and him being upset with her is literally one of her natural consequences. <laughs> that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So it, I know that it's hard, um, Yeah. Yeah. And his father um, left him whenever he was three months old because of alcohol and drugs. And, uh, you know, my daughter was 12, 13 at the time. And so she talked badly about his father and um, uh, abandoned him. And now she has basically done the same thing. And so, yes, he has he has a lot of anger. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's hard. The other day, they uh, right before she went to treatment, they had an argument and he called her a a drug addict, you know, and uh, I saw her take a step back and it just really broke her. But um, like you said, I mean, I guess that's a natural consequence um, for her actions. But um, my first response then was to go tell him, you know, your sister's going to be entering rehab uh, tomorrow. And uh, I don't think that that was wise that you said that to her. You know, she's trying to do better. Um, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's a terrible thing to say or anything. I think it's just a hard, it's a hard dilemma. Like, even if this wasn't going on and they were saying mean things to each other, you'd probably tell them, stop being mean to each other because it was what you do as parents, you know, with the kids or whatever. But um, one thing you might could do to help him is help him to, and he may or may not be open to letting you help him, but if he is open to it, um, figure out exactly what he is feeling. Because especially because he's younger and he just knows he's mad, but helping him even put the words on it, like I'm mad because, or I'm upset because, or I'm sad because, or I feel betrayed, or like to really articulate it will help him sort through his own feelings about it. 
That's which good. might be hard because he's a boy and because he's that age, you know, they don't think in feeling words as much, you know. And so just helping him like put some like labels on it might might be super helpful for him. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime I try to talk to him, you know, he uh, he dismisses me and doesn't want to talk about it. So um, it's uh, I see him pinting it up and just getting more. Um, yeah. So, yeah. well, thank you. you. You gave me think about and I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for sharing with us. Appreciate it. Bye bye, Faye. All right, everyone. We've got time for maybe just a, one or two more questions or comments. Um, Daniela says, I think living with my addicted husband has changed me forever. It has. One one thing I can tell you, Daniela, is if if you make it through this, you you will never be glad you had to go through this. Just like people who are addicted, they probably aren't glad that they went through that because it just sucks. I'm not going to lie about it. But you will come out of it a different person. But if you do recovery, you'll come out of it a stronger person and in some ways better. Because um, it's one of those things that either makes you stronger or it kills you, for sure. So you won't be glad you went through it, but you'll be glad that you gained the strength that you did if you can come out the other side of it. You'll, you'll have some improvements because you it forces you, forces you to think about boundaries differently it forces you to take care of yourself differently it, it forces you to understand things differently that that makes you grow as a person um marty says been there done that focused on my recovery set boundaries and let go only found peace and serenity yeah it's not easy and and um it, and it's not like a thing that you you find your peace and serenity all at once. It's a whole process, and it's a lot of back and forth, some good days and bad days. And you have to keep working towards it, just like the addicted person has to. Um, Melissa says, I started the craft method. The healing began for all involved. Hey, that's awesome. The craft method, if you guys don't know what that is, it's community reinforcement and family training. Um, we teach the craft method in our Invisible Enrichment, and we also have some videos on this YouTube channel about craft method. But, and I have a video coming out soon about it too, but another one. But um, I'll tell you that of the different things you can do as a family member, the craft method statistically has the best chances or results. It's like three times more effective than like a the old school intervention or just Alan on alone. So if you're going to do something, the craft method is, is the way to go. All right, we have one person who's hopping on here with us. It's me. Hi, Sean. Hey. I've only got a couple of minutes because I have a two o'clock appointment, but I these just, minutes are yours. What can we I, help you with? I just wanted to tell you that this is so right on for me, and it's just hitting me square between the eyes. I have a, a 21-year-old that's been in and out of treatment many, many times the last two years. Right now, he's in a halfway house, but I can't do anything more for him. And I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing, you know, I'm I've been addicted to him, trying to help him, and I can't, mm -hmm. I can't. So um, I literally the other day, um, he was supposed to. He's learning the the public transportation system mm -hmm. where he is. He's far enough away that he. He's not going to just walk home or get a ride. Right, right. So he um, he was trying to play like he'd gotten on the wrong bus, 
and maybe he thought he did, but the day before he had, and he'd gone like the wrong direction, and I rescued him with an Uber back home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he was he wasn't going to go to work, you know. He was telling me to get him an Uber again. And I finally figured out, I did a three-way with the office of the facility where he's at, where he's at, and found out the bus he needed to be on, texted that to him, and I said, this is what you're supposed to do. You get on these buses. I'm blocking you now. Mm -hmm. And I did. Wow. And I didn't, you know, because I, the funny thing about it is he had made it to work the first two days he had work on the bus Mm -hmm. no problem and here all of a sudden he's having problems you know so you look like you you have like a a little bit of a sketch eye on that the way you said it makes me think you're like oh this doesn't even sound right a little bit you know my other kids have been telling me he's a master manipulator yeah and i mean it's just those are just muscles you have to grow to be addicted and families Guess what? We grow the same muscles. <laughs> we we don't call it manipulation as much, but we do. Well, we yeah. try. We try to. <laughs> the other thing that I had done, and and you know, now I don't know. I mean, I probably did it longer than I should have. But when he had come home and he had been on really, you know, hard street drugs, um, and he'd become really reclusive, I I got a medical marijuana card for him. I mean, I took him to the doctor because I thought, you know, this is going to keep him safe. This is the gateway out mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. and i was studying the strains and learning what you know was better and worse and blah 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 but you know what it it just it didn't help he well, went out that story ends addicted to <laughs> yeah and then they and then they're demanding it from you oh and they called you a hostage and they're gonna have to buy it for me and oh, oh my gosh oh, oh, yeah absolutely <laughs> and looking for it when i hide it even though i had control yeah, because then it's like you're trying to give it to them, but then you're trying to control how much they eat. Exactly. It's exactly. just one of the bargains as a family member. Like when yes. it comes the bargaining, it's like a family bargain. Well, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm asking myself, how did I get here? You know, how did I get here? Right. I mean, and like the the title of this video is, you know, I'm not the person I used to be. Right. Right. Yeah. I hear we hear you. I got it. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Um, All those resources are in the description. If you haven't taken the boundary quizzes, make sure you take them and make sure you answer the real truth. I'm not going to look at your answers, just you. So so tell the truth on it. Um, And I will see everybody um, next uh, Thursday at 1. Oh, and watch out next Tuesday. Um, We start our new Love Addiction series. There's four of those videos. The first one comes out on Valentine's Day. So I think you guys are going to like it. See you soon. Bye.